Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So let us begin. The 20 starts off where the Wayfinder rolls across the Emperor's throne room. Kylo catches it. Uh, he crushes it in an attempt to convince Rey to come with him and to no longer be part of the Jedi. She can't go back. Uh, she's pretty raging, and Kylo's kind of right in the sense that she's tapping into the dark side a little bit here. Uh, they begin a saber duel on the Death Star 2. Uh, it goes from inside to the outside where there's a bunch of rain and waves. Uh, Rey pushes Finn away from the fight. Uh, the fight's very brutal and, and raw. Um, uh, Kylo's playing major defense and then he turns it up a gear and really starts to put the screws to Rey, knocking her down uh, where Leia senses something is wrong. Uh, in uh, a moment of force connection, Kylo Ren is knocked off his focus, drops his saber. Uh, Rey catches that saber and uses it to literally beat the devil out of Kylo Ren. She stabs him right in the torso, uh, and he is defeated. In the exact same moment across the galaxy, uh, Princess Leia dies in her final uh, expression of love to save her son's soul. Uh, she passes away. This, of course, is felt by both um, Ben and Rey, and this kind of knocks them back. He might well have died in that moment from the wounds inflicted by the lightsaber, but Rey, of course, can heal wounds with the Force. Uh, she tells him, I did want to take your hand, Bays, uh, Ben's, not not Ren's. And uh, then she leaves in, in, in Kylo's um, uh, TIE fighter, and Kylo is left to have a very tender moment with the memory of his father, Han. Yes, uh, Han essentially is, agree uh, is trying to provide Kylo the opportunity in his own mind with also connection force from Leia, an opportunity for forgiveness, an opportunity for Kylo to relive through the force the, the biggest regret of his life and an opportunity to embrace the light, the time that he knows was the most important time for him to have done it. Uh, as a result of that, um, he throws away his saber uh, and turns around and his image of his father is gone, but Kylo Ren is gone with that, uh, murdered by Rey, and we are left with Ben Solo standing still. Um, we get back to uh, Poe. He's now general after Leia's died. Uh, he anoints Finn a general as well. Uh, Finn explains how Rey, Dio, Ochi, and Palpatine are all connected. Uh, and then Rey flies to Octu to burn Kylo's tie. Uh, and as she's burning it, she throws her... Uh, the Graflex into the flames where Force Ghost Luke catches it. And he gives her uh, the pep talk she needs to not give up. The pep talk he probably needed to not give up so many years ago. Uh, and he basically tells her, look, if you give up now, uh, it's the end of the Jedi and uh, only you can save us. And by the way, my sister would have wanted you to have this and it's uh, Leia's lightsaber. And so this is kind of a symbolic ending to, to raise training as a Jedi uh, so that she can march forth uh, towards Exegol and uh, save the good of the galaxy. Uh, meanwhile, I'm not sure if you mentioned... Uh, Finn and Poe kind of got an also necessary little talking to from a longtime hero, which is Lando, who steps out of the fold and he's like, look, yeah. uh, I know the, the odds seem against you, but trust me, the fact that you have each other means something. Uh, and that's yeah, kind and of a also, nice little moment. Yeah, the, and the very important end to the 20 being Luke raising his old X-Wing from the ocean 
uh, and delivering it to Ray for her journey to Octo. We've talked as much about um, negative things in this movie since we started the season of the podcast, as we've talked about wanting to not exclusively talk about negative things in this movie. Um, and I'm so happy to say this is uh, by far and away the best 20 in The Rise of Skywalker. There's actually very little bad with this 20. There's just a lot of really gratifying moments, really moving moments and excellent performances. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that's what's really nice, especially after the last couple that are just filled with all these holes. I'm actually going to do my take backs right away because okay. there's not many and this way we can just get them out of the way with. Sure. Um, the the major, major sin, which is a huge take back of this 20, is that uh, the battle between Rey and Kylo is not scored. Yeah. Uh, now it's done to be uh, kind of a raw moment. Uh, the scoring in this 20 is exceptional. It's probably one of the best scored 20s in the movie, except for the essential fight that absolutely should be scored. Set up for, I'll say it again, Duel of the Fates, Battle of the Heroes, some mix of that, something brand and it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, it, it was important, and I've seen it scored, and it's better scored. What was uh, the artful decision-making behind that, do you suppose? Because it, it wasn't just rawness. like lazy. Yeah, but I, I don't... That's never been what Star Wars is about, rawness. It's always been about the most you can make, the most... Well, first of all, uh, opera <laughs> is not about rawness. It's, it's, about, yes. it's about dressing everything up. Yes, but this movie also fails to understand what Star Wars is in certain points and kind of gives you the the first time you watch Star Wars understanding of Star Wars in a couple places. Right. Like those, like the, everybody, it's, it's been backed up at the end, but there's zero chance in hell J.J. had uh, that medal given to um, Chewie at the end because it was Leia's medal she got that was Han's and then it was passed in that way. No. Like, that was just something J.J. was like, oh, I just kind of want to throw this in here because it was a thing from 77. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of things that are answered that this just kind of goes off and does its own thing on. But I think that there are a, a lot of fan service moments that can be credited to uh, executives as anything. Like, we need to see more exactly. fan service. How many more moments are in here are going to gratify the 1977 fans? And then J.J.'s like, fine, I'll have Chewie get Hans medal like exactly and it's it's those kind of fan service ones that are uh, some of them being misplaced and being uh, thinking it's fan service where it's almost it's just pandering yeah uh, in a couple instances but that one's uh, that's a mistake huge one that really bothers me the Sith Eternal Fleet is just a general huge mistake because the crew the lack of any explanation Sith troopers and just the uselessness of that well and um, and, and but that's not exclusive to this 20 either of course that suddenly star destroyers have as much strength as the most vile weapon in the history of Star Wars. The Emperor sent a ship from Exegol. Does that mean every ship in the fleet has, has planet-killing weapons? Of course they do. All of them. This is how he finishes it. It seems like quite the evolution. Like every time they try and they try and make the the bad guys, uh, the Empire or whatever so evil that the last thing they did that was so evil was small potatoes compared to what we got you now. And it's really just like, you're just turning up the volume on the same crime. Well, it's also ridiculous because they had to carve out a, like a third of a planet to blow up six at once. And now they've got just these little like tank guns in the bottom of the star destroyers that can just, they can hold the beam for longer. So it just right. it, like, explodes it from within. Like, no, that's just kind of dumb. Uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, one of the fundamental issues with the the movie, not so much the twenty uh, plan destroying weapons, the Eternal Fleet. Uh, 
The only other couple of things that I have take backs are Luke's disgustingly long hair. He's a little uh, a little scraggly for sure. It's grimy. It's never been this long in the series. It, it looks terrible. You can't pull off the Qui-Gon hair. Uh, it just doesn't work. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my, uh, and just go ahead. two more lines. Okay. Uh, Leia knows what must be done, R2. To reach her son now will take all the strength she has left. It's just really shitty exposition. And, oh, Maz is just saying this thing to a droid. Yeah. Uh, to provide it, it's just it's so out of place and unnecessary well and, and it, like it it's an important thing to explain what's going on but just done poorly but it kind of fits in with one of my big issues that i brought up a few times lately and you can probably help me with it a little bit i understand that maz knows the secrets of this family but again with the inconsistency or the or the the non not exactly like uh outright committing to whether or not uh kylo ren being ben solo is public record or or the existence of the force and therefore the dark side of the force being widely accepted things like when uh when dominic monaghan is like well the sith are gonna win now and you're like okay so you believe in the sith and maz is comforting r2 by saying kylo is ben solo and so like it just seems like there are certain things that on one day i'm supposed to accept that that most people don't even know that's happening and other days i'm like well this is that's that's top 40 information. Absolutely. And those ones specifically I can explain to you with ease. Uh, Maz is a really old friend of Han's. Yes. Han is Ben's dad. It just makes sense. It Han's, does. Uh, Maz is a thousand years old, so she's seen everything. She's seen the Jedi at her peak. It makes sense she's had encounters with him. And also she's force sensitive. Yes. So that's also a huge angle there. Uh, not many people know, uh, obviously, the, the Ben-Kylo thing, but Maz does in this instance. And I get that. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and uh, the other one you just mentioned. Um, the Sith and the Force, and is it real, or is it oh, just... Oh, Dom Dominic Monaghan's character, Beaumont. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a character that had more lines and scenes, and they were all cut. He's like an archaeologist right. sort of thing. He, he studies the Sith. He's like a like a librarian almost in that regard. Like he He's the one who does the translations uh, during the, the kind of the the broadcasts to the galaxy. Uh, so he's the one who's providing them uh, kind of the, the conversion of all this Sith information as to like what to make of it. But none of us are explained that that's who this character is, as opposed to just being some rando resistance member, which is what we assume he is. Here's my only other little nitpick, uh, which is easily explained away, although I think you could be fought on it. Um, how does Kylo get off the moon of Endor after Ray takes his TIE fighter? Uh, this is one that I didn't see the first time, but is an extremely easy one to answer. Uh, they do show it. Uh, he takes a TIE fighter from Death Star 2. It's an old school TIE fighter that he finds. It's just, it's like, just it's just there? It's just like still well, in working honest, order? It's been sitting in well, the water for 30 years? Well, no. Look how much of the Death Star is out of the water, and look how much of it's still intact. I think it's pretty reasonable that of all the things still intact, that a, a whole TIE fighter could still be intact. But what power is uh, a star a starship in Star Wars? Is it like, are they running on battery power or energy or or is it fuel? Because it's just sitting there. Like, think about if you left a car in the garage fuel. for 30 years. Yeah, it's fuel. But that could be, like, their engine could be fucked up. It was in there for 30 years, is my point. Yeah, but he's got to risk that. And <laughs> as we know, specifically on uh, Kef Burr, this moon, 
planets that aren't in good condition can be fixed in like 20 minutes. Hey, that's true. Like it, it can be crashed and half buried underground. And if you go and change some wires in the cockpit, the landing gear will be fixed. Okay. Well, uh, let's shift gears to the positive then. And as long as we're talking about Kylo Ren, uh, the big Absolutely. question, the big question of the 20, uh, are you of the school of thought that when that red lightsaber goes through his stomach, that, as I said in the recap, beats the devil out of him. It blasts the last evil out of him. And he again is Ben Solo. Absolutely. Uh, she kills him. She, yes. she, mur she, mur she murders him in cold blood. Han says as much. He says it to his face. Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive. Absolutely. But like Ray, it's a it's a cold blooded murder what she does uh, against obviously a, a murderer, but she she kills him. He's done at that moment. The second Leia connects, he drops the saber. It's kind of like a what have I done sort of moment. And then she kills him. And so you're right. He severs the connection Palpatine has had over him because right after they say, uh, the princess of Alderaan has disrupted my plans, but uh, her acts will be in vain. And so it really comes by uh, the distraction that she puts out and then Ray killing Kylo. Ultimately he becomes Ben Solo again. And he, that, that kind of overbearing grip that Palpatine has as him is released. And you're right. It's kind of the devil is beaten out of him. Uh, and he's no longer Kylo Ren at that point. It's just hard for him to imagine going back because he's so ashamed of everything he's done at this point. But it doesn't take very long for Han to convince him to do the right thing. It's also just a, he is Ben. It's just so interesting. Uh, and it's actually good storytelling that through this entire trilogy, he has idolized his grandfather as Darth Vader and wanted to be Darth Vader in all senses. And the <clears> way the way he gets beaten and then becomes good again and takes a seat next to the hero and just kind of looks at her or him as, mm. as was the case with Darth Vader. It's like he actually does fulfill the Darth Vader destiny by like he kind of has that same final moment, that same transitionary defeat that ultimately becomes heroism. Yeah. Uh, so does, does Kylo Ren is killed by Palpatine. Does Palpatine understand that that's happened? That's what he means when he says the the girl has thwarted my plans. Yes, he, he knows he lost uh, his he lost Kylo Ren. He knows that that uh, kind of his his mental slave of the force is is gone uh, because they showed in a couple previous scenes that he's been talking. He just is lives in his head. Yes. He had a conversation. He, just, he lives in his head, but that's completely gone at this point. And also another key thing to note is that uh, his facial scar heals when Ray heals him, mm -hmm. and so by healing him, like. She's she's bringing Ben Solo back to life, not Kylo Ren back to life. Now you have Kylo Ren dies in that way. You have said before that he actually never speaks as as Ben Solo, but he does speak to his father, which is quibbling because he's kind of talk, kind of talking to himself there. That's fair. Uh, after he throws away the lightsaber, yeah. And let's talk about the the Han discussion, which I think is mm. maybe not um, universally accepted. I, I some people were just kind of in a mood. Um, and maybe there's maybe it's not perfect, but I mean it's my favorite moment of the movie. Um, I think it's what's unperfect about it. I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with it. I th like I said, it's my favorite part of the movie. I find it very moving. Uh, I love the the repetition of the dialogue from the first movie. I don't want to have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Love when he kind of winces and says "dad," and Han says oh, "I know." Man. That's like that'll break you down. I don't even know what Han knows. I don't know what he means when he says "I know," <laughs> but it's just like this beautiful, beautiful. Th Do they hug? Is there an embrace? No. no, no. He turns around and throws it, and when he turns back, Han's gone. Han is gone. 
Yeah, and some of the lines there are phenomenal. The "Hey kid," and the uh, "No, Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive." Yeah, you're ju- you're just a memory, which is probably the name of the episode. Such a great moment, and I mean, as an overall, having Leia, her last act mirror Luke is another nice thing too. I mean, Luke projected himself across the galaxy to protect the galaxy from Kylo Ren. Yeah, and Leia projected herself across the galaxy to save Ben from Kylo Ren. Oh, and that is nice. You're right. They both died in doing so, and uh, they both had that kind of like the the sheet thing, and it, it was uh, yeah. It's a it's a, just a it's a really good moment. I I think JJ uh, absolutely in my books gets a ten out of ten on the way he handled Leia and the the her death and the use in the movie. Uh, there's only a couple. There's only so much you can do, and I, I really really give it a ten out of ten on the usage in this film because it's it's not a winning chance and this is still a beautiful end well uh not to divert but to what extent did jj abrams create lost did he just kind of exec that or was it like a david damon lindelof thing or did he actually conceive that original show and then handed it over i believe he co-wrote i could be wrong but i believe he co-wrote the pilot and directed the pilot it's interesting uh, it would be interesting to know uh to what extent they had actually thought out the symbolism of that show when they created it, because it's just a show about life and death and, 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 mm. and the, the gray area that is between. And of course this movie and star Wars in particular really, really highlights that. So I think maybe JJ is fascinated with, with the concept of spiritual death and, and resolving uh, souls. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And I, and I do very much like that uh, in this film. And I think uh, one of the, I think there could have been a lot more force ghost usage in this movie uh, because yeah. of it would have been a very kind of summarizing element and really goes with uh, spirits being kind of settled and uh, at peace with being one with the force in that regard. And would have been nice as well to have a Ben Solo sort of one. Oh, However, yeah. then you goes down to the end of like, does he live on through Ray? And it kind of makes sense in that regard that he wouldn't, he it, the same way Leia couldn't, um, disappear and become a force ghost until ben was at rest right. the same way ben will become force ghost until ray potentially becomes one with the force oh do you so th- there is yeah. okay that's kind of how i interpret it that's the reason that's the only way i can um make sense of why he's not with luke and leia on tatooine as i mean force ghost. we'll talk about that final force ghost uh, oh, yeah, shot later in, on. in a couple of weeks but i know you're a little disappointed by the lack of of luke's force ghost in this movie and i get that on the other hand you're really playing with fire when you're bringing dead characters back from the dead. You're you're really mm. risking like taking some of the drama out of the the killing of that character. And mm. I mean, I've I've I kind of like how Luke dies in the series. I I don't know that I I'm obsessed with it. Um, I I don't necessarily I like love either that he died before the final movie. I don't know if they could have like reworked that in some way. But if you put Force Ghost guy who died in your movie too much, you're really kind of taking away the the impact of that death. And so I kind of get that it has to be minimal. I would agree under different circumstances. It's Luke F. and Skywalker. And this, in my opinion, like him going out with a laser sword and taking on the First Order, that is not what Luke Skywalker does. Badass Luke Skywalker is being at peace with the Force. Like his role, I think, it could have been a little bit more in... Um, guiding or training Ray or trying to push Ben back on track, something along those lines. Like to see a round kid 
he should have he should have come to Kylo Ren at some point and just like made like some form of last ditch effort or something that could at least lead up to maybe making it seem like he's starting to come back a little bit more before that fight because he's so defensive against Ray. He's yes. not trying to to kill her. No, at any point he gets a little angry at the end and looks like he might do it, but. Um, it's defensive 90% of the fight. I have a couple of thoughts on that lightsaber fight and lightsaber fights in general. Uh, mm. First of all, I have always wanted a lightsaber fight in the piss pouring rain, and I was glad to yeah, get it in it. this movie. Like you said, the scoring would have helped, but I, I just love the, the waves. visual of it. The waves, the acting is, I mean, they're just both so good. Their chemistry is Mirrors amazing. Mirrors Mustafar, of course. Oh, absolutely, it does. Um, and it also occurred to me, uh, and I remember when you and I both first saw, I don't know if it's in this moment, but when we first saw someone block a lightsaber with their mm -hmm. hand with the force push of their hand we're like oh yeah where's that been that's genius <laughs> like of course that's Absolutely. possible but it, it it i realized today uh and i've said a lot on this podcast that i'm not a fan of yoda ever turning on his lightsaber i'm thinking that would have been a better way to have him dual palpatine in uh revenge of the sith would be to him just defensively use his hands while someone's swinging a lightsaber at him that would have been that's, really cool that's you're right absolutely you're right yeah. i I'm okay with him using a lightsaber in Revenge of the Sith. I think the usage of it in Attack of the Clones is good, but you should have saved that for yeah. Revenge of the Sith if you're going to use it in some way. Uh, but no, I, I agree. I think that would have been even better. I think it would have been even better. Uh, the fans would have been a little annoyed, but it would have been so damn cool and much more uh, in line with the, the character as an overall being. The other thing I was thinking about uh, when he gets stabbed with a lightsaber where lightsabers famously instantly cauterize the wound. If you can get stabbed through the stomach and manage not to disrupt or puncture any major arteries, you can very conceivably recover from getting a hole right through your body because you're not going to have any internal bleeding. He, yeah, but he, he got hit in the lung is the way I, I think because after she heals him up, it's like a big gasp he gets. Yeah, that's true. And so it makes it feel like, and also it would be one of the only large organs that you would be able to live for like a couple seconds after it being punctured, probably. Well, and for example, uh, Darth Maul was an assassin. He was he used the force or his knowledge of Qui Gon's body to to make sure he hit it where it hurt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was absolutely an assassin. Although Darth Maul had his freaking legs chopped off, and he was able to use his hate to keep himself alive there. Well, he doesn't have his lungs down by his belt. That's right. He lost something else. So you mentioned uh, a really good contender for the title, but we got a couple of good ones in here. There's Goodbye, Dear Princess, which is is really nice. Uh, yeah. Kylo Who's ever ready? Yeah, I liked that too. I also really like Poe says, this is how he finishes it. Yeah, I hated that general speech. So I don't want to... Uh, just the little snippet there. I thought Poe had a couple good lines, but... There was also some really cringy dialogue from him. I did think it was hilarious. Wait, what? Cone face? Yeah. <laughs> Dio was cute in this. I miss her. Dio was cute. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't touch that. That's my friend. So sorry. She is gone. Yeah, she's gone. I don't know where. I miss her. I miss her too. And I think if, we're, if we just name our episodes after the most iconic line from the 20, I think it might be a thousand generations live in you now. Yeah, I have that one underlined as well because it was so prominent from uh, the trailer. From the trailer. But, but yeah, I mean, whatever represents the 20 as a whole, whatever's key, whatever's iconic. I mean, I'm fine with who's ever, re who's ever ready. 
Um, no, Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive. You're just a memory. A thousand generations living you. Any of those would work. Um, but a couple other good lines are, look at yourself. You wanted to prove to my mother that you were a Jedi, but you've proven something else. Mm. You can't go back to her now. Like I can't. The dark side is in our nature. Surrender to it. He kind of seems to imply there that his mass murdering of cultures and planets is on par with her like having a dark side. (laughs) Her having an edge. (laughs) But it's also he's trying to manipulate her. Sure, yeah. He's trying to get her to take a swing. (laughs) And she does. When we briefly... She's so angry here, which is good. When we briefly go to Palpatine uh, and... Uh, General Pride is kneeling before him. Pride mm. says, um, as I served you in the old wars, I serve you now. And I, I find mm. this to be so rich and um, just just curious. Like that, yep. that seems to be so rife with story. Like it, it totally implies that Pride was around in the times of Return of the Jedi as, as a young officer, obviously. But like mm-hmm. he's, there's an interesting, if brutal story about how Pride rose to, rose to prominence before the events of this film. Yeah, absolutely. It's, but as an understanding of General the Emperor's uh, kind of contingency plans that he had in place, it makes a lot of sense because he brought a lot of people to the Unknown Regions, obviously for Exegol's purposes to build the Sith Eternal Fleet. Uh, he had some people running kind of other operations, and of course he built the First Order as well. And so clearly Pride was one of uh, his key appointees or was somebody who was trusted by one of his key appointees to be somebody to build the first order to become the final order. Right. So it feels like he was one of the people who was given a, another inside track. So you know the first order. You're part of building the first order. But the first order is step one. My guess is many people just knew the first order and saw that as being the end goal, whereas it would be different in a case of pride. He's on the inside track. And so, yeah, it would be a super great story. And that's a really... Uh, exposition filled little bit it is. Uh, that doesn't feel like exposition it just feels very natural and uh it's classic it's star wars emper- it's very star wars yeah. it's really spot on the giant emperor face it's uh yeah it's spot on i really like that part uh my only last two questions about this 20 uh relate to wayfinders uh when the other one turns out to be on octu uh ray just kind of whispers there was another Wayfinder. Is that what she says? Is that how the line goes? Yeah. There was another one. And did they, we, they, they did make two. That's what, that's what I'm asking. They did make two. Uh, yeah. We always knew that. We always knew that there was supposed to be another one out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just it's, maybe it's, was lost it, on that. Yeah. I think it's said when she discovers it in the, in the, the texts, yeah. which make no sense whatsoever why the Jedi texts have... Uh, the drawing of a Sith Wayfinder no. that they were only made two of for Vader and Palpatine? Right. Or maybe, oh, no, never mind. They only made two. Pa- Kylo Ren destroys one of the two Wayfinders to Exegol. Meaning yes. those are supposed to be one for the Master and one for the Apprentice. Those are the rule of two Wayfinders. Yeah. So he just, <laughs> Kylo Ren in like kind of destroyed half of the rule of two by crushing it in his fist so that Ray had to come with him. <laughs> well, you could also say that in doing that, he literally, he symbolically did what he was literally doing anyway. That's what he's there yes. to do. Yeah, um, absolutely. He's there to turn her. And so were those Wayfinders, have they all this time been on Octu and that Moon no, of Endor no, no, respectively? No, no. Has it always just been hanging out since Return of the Jedi in Palpatine's old office? Well, yeah, it makes sense to be in Palpatine's old office. But no, no, no. That other Wayfinder Kylo gets at the start of the film. It's plugged into his TIE fighter. That's where Ray retrieves it from. Right. 
Yeah, and so she just, Luke's saying that, and so she goes back in and says, oh, okay, this is one thing I can salvage from it because it's, you know, ancient Sith little thing. Um, but yeah, that's actually kind of interesting. I never really associated with the rule of two until I just kind of spoke it out loud, and it, it, it does make a lot of sense in that regard, and it, and it is kind of cool. Anything else you want to say about this 20 that was particularly interesting or cool? I really like the moment where... Um, Poe and Finn are they become generals together. Mm. <laughs> I thought that general, was, general. Thank you, I appreciate that. I thought that was really sweet and kind of what we've been missing from Poe for a little while. I gotta talk to you about. Something. I gotta talk to you about something. I can't do this alone. I need you in command with me. Well, this droid has. A, thank you, I appreciate that, General. General, this droid has a ton of information about it. Wait, what? Coneface? I am Dio. Sorry, Dio. Luke's line. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> a Jedi really weapons deserves one. more respect. Yeah, uh, Palpatine, she will come, her friends will follow. That's very Return of the Jedi. I loved that yeah. because Palpatine does not give us many Return of the Jedi intelligence uh, type lines. It's a lot of, uh, ooh, this is surprising <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> I, you know what? This is not a good 20 for uh, trivia. I will say that. It is one of the hardest movie, uh, 20s for trivia we've ever done. I had zero after the watch through and had to go back through to come up with trivia. I only have one and it's not, it's not especially interesting. I do have six. But this is something, of course you do. This is something we haven't talked about is uh, the flashback scene of Luke training Leia. That's like really gratifying. Uh, yeah, I've actually had a, I have a handful of couple of things we still haven't talked about, but let's do some trivia okay my only question for you is how does young leia combatively best luke in the training flashback how does she get she him on the ground him in the stomach she sure does yeah yeah that's uh that was abs that's my padawan question one of my two and uh both of them really good uh, in terms of rendering but yeah young she's a little video gamey but he is insane insane young mark hamill it's like and certainly the fact that they're wearing helmets helps yeah. um She's a little bit gamey, and you can tell that she's. It is Mark Hamill, and she is uh, Billy Lord, which is very mm -hmm. respectful. And and Billy oh. Lord, in a way, kind of looks like her mom anyway, so that's fine. Um, yeah. But I just thought that was a really gratifying scene. It's unfortunate it couldn't have been longer, but they did the most they possibly could have with it. Mm. Uh, my other backup Padawan question was spell Exegol. <laughs> okay, well. All I know from this is that when you first learned about it, you kept calling it exogle. And so how would how would you spell something that looks like exogle? Uh, you also got to keep in mind, I heard about it through... Uh, a podcast. The first time I heard of exogle was a leaked planet, like the leaked planets before it came out. Right. And so um, it, it, it isn't spelled exogle. It's spelled its actual spelling. E-X-O-G-E-L. That was how it was, I guess, spelt in the leaked planet listings because that's how I pronounced it. But no, it's it's spelled exegol. It's E-X-E-G-O-L. G-O-L. You know, G-E-L would make, more people would pronounce it exegol. And so yeah, that's a good that point. kind of makes an exegol. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um. A couple night questions here. Uh, how many evasive moves does Kylo make before igniting his saber against Rey? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, five. Seven. Seven. It's very, it's very cool, the dodging that he does and all the sliding around before igniting his saber when he has to. Well, to your point, he's not there to kill her. He is just trying nope. to talk. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another one I had here was, uh, what item does Leia drop before she wanders off to connect with Ben and ultimately die? Oh shoot. She does just, something falls out of her hand. 
It's not the metal. No, but nope. the metal is buried with her. Or not buried with her, but it is red rests with her. Mm. I don't know. Headphones. Headphones. Okay. All right. Um, and two ridiculously hard master questions. Uh, what percent were the levels being held steady aboard the Star Destroyer before blowing up Kijimi? <laughs> I don't know. 17. Uh, 85. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, and the other one is, what is the name and rank of the officer who orders fire on the Star Destroyer blowing up Kijimi? Uh, Steve. And he's first sergeant. Come on. It was a woman. <laughs> uh, Stephanie. And she is first sergeant. Uh, Captain Chasile Sabrand. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on, Colin. I expected you to at least get close on that guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was in the ballpark. The only other thing I have here is just uh, Chewie's reaction to Leia's death being sure. really, really excellent and being gut-wrenching as you would expect. Yeah. Yeah, poor, poor Chewie. He does get sidelined in this trilogy. Yeah, and everybody dies around him. Yeah, all of his old friends die. Except for, for the, except for the droids and Lando. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the news. We, we finished doing our podcast last week, and then immediately speculations came out that would have been nice to chat about last week. So I guess we'll start there. Yeah, I mean, they're very much uh, still on the unverified sources of the internet, uh, but it, it's had some steam behind it in terms of uh, several sources leaking that Hayden Christensen would be, will be coming back in some capacity for a television appearance, rumored likely would be for Obi-Wan uh, TV show or uh, potentially in relation to Ahsoka being brought to live action, maybe he being a, a guiding force ghost in some shape or form. Oh. But it would likely be to be a flashback or a parallel or uh, a, a helmet-removing meditation scene in the Kenobi series. Because I, I sure as shit hope he's... Uh, the main antagonist there do you think that uh, we'll recognize him as hayden christensen if he takes off his helmet now they'll be able to do that so that we're like that's definitely hayden christensen and i mean underneath oh, all the scarring and stuff they they wouldn't cast him if um it, it wasn't they, they wouldn't cast him for just vader right they've cast other people for just vader uh so he's been in the suit for he, he is the guy in the suit in revenge of the sith yeah because uh, he requested to be but I would imagine it's for some purposes of having, whether it's a face to face or just like even in some way, shape or form uh, flashback. I, I don't know how you, but there's gotta be a, a usage for it to be Hayden Christensen. If it's, it, he'll be, he'll be out of the suit in some way. Uh, but it does intrigue me on the potential for it to be uh, an Ahsoka force ghost. Cause yeah. I think that would be very cool seeing as Ahsoka, her Anakin has never been Hayden Christensen. No. And we've never known this new Ahsoka by Rosario Dawson. So this relationship that we know so well will also be very different, portrayed by two people we've never seen it before, the inverse of what all other animation would be for right. live action. But so that's kind of interesting. That's a real challenge for them as actors to, uh, as Absolutely. to, uh, to grasp that same energy that's uh, so well established by two entirely different people. I think Hayden Christensen uh, would do an excellent job because the way Anakin is presented and the way he speaks his dialogue can really fit with a, like a monk style at peace Jedi force sure. ghost. That can totally work um, the same way it worked with his like kind of moody broodingness. And so I, I think he can still portray uh, 
a continued Anakin that we understand in that same way in relation to Ahsoka. But I am just in general very curious to know how a live action Ahsoka will adapt. Okay, but Hayden Christensen, that is Anakin Skywalker when he properly dies. Uh, the fir- his first moment as a Force ghost is, of course, uh, at the celebration on the moon of Endor. Mm. He comes to Luke. And can that Force ghost just then go off to all kinds of other Jedi who he had positive relationships with when he was Anakin Skywalker and like and check in on them? Is that how that works? Well, from all understanding of canon Force ghosts that we've had, you've only been approached by a Force ghost of someone that you have known. But you have been able to hear voices. Ray was the first one to be able to hear voices of people that she didn't know. Right. Um, but it's believed that, I guess, that could be something that could have been done. Potentially other people have not been able to uh, manifest, manifest themselves physically, but learned a similar level that Qui-Gon had learned. And that's the reason why all those people were able to communicate those voices. Um, but it'll be just in, in general, it'll be just in general interesting to see the way that Anakin connects with Soka if he were to do it in that regard. One thing that is really interesting and I personally would love, uh, there's a patch uh, of for season two of The Mandalorian. There's still a little patch for the crew, like a little like patch you would sew on clothing. Mm-hmm. And it's the mud horn in the center with two lightsabers crossed behind it. Ooh. One with a dark saber hilt mm-hmm. and one with a hilt that we can't fully tell what it is, but the closest hilt we've ever seen it to being is Darth Vader's. Okay. Now, I thought it would be cool just seeing that and that it's the only, it's either just some random hilt, but the only force user we know of being in this, in the Mandalorian season two would be Ahsoka. And, and, baby, and baby Yoda. And, and baby Yoda, sorry, but baby Yoda's not going to wield a lightsaber. You're right. Uh, he's not fighting Moff Gideon as a little toddler, <laughs> but it made me think Ahsoka has uh, bled her crystals white. Okay. Uh, she bled uh, her crystals white from a, a red saber that she stole an Inquisitor's saber after she defeated it and had two red crystals. She bled them back to white to purify them, and she used them as, as her white sabers after she abandoned her sabers uh, to um, at the end of the Clone Wars. And so it would be really interesting if... Luke were to get were to meet up with Ahsoka and give her Vader's saber, and if she were to bleed that white and use that as her saber moving forward, that of her master's, uh, the master that she kind of abandoned. Uh, also, because in this recent season of Clone Wars, Anakin, while Ahsoka is away from the the Jedi Council because she's been she was accused of murder, and then she decided to leave the Council because she saw how corrupt it was. Uh, but when she comes back for a mission, Anakin gives her, her lightsabers back to her with blue crystals in them ah. because he modified them. It also tells us more about how lightsaber crystals work in that regard, which is really cool. And we can chat about when those Clone Wars episodes come, but he modified those crystals so that they would remind him of her. And also it's a little bit kind of, um, commandeering in that regard, but it would be a nice kind of parallel. And so when I saw that Ahsoka, I'm not sure what lightsaber she would use. And so if we could see a return of that Vader saber, uh, and Anakin Force Ghost on it uh, with Hayden Christensen. That would be so many different Star Wars mediums yes. connecting themselves yeah. to tell a cohesive story that it would be just beautiful just because of how well that fits in with all these different things that have been pre-established that really have lacked a lot of those kind of moments. It uh, amuses me so much that the difference between uh, Hayden Christensen 
wearing and not wearing the Vader suit in Revenge of the Sith is him asking. Like, like he yeah. was like, oh, can I wear it? And they're like, oh, you want to wear it? You want to wear it? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. everyone wants to wear the Darth Vader suit. Like, all you had to do was ask. <laughs> yeah, well, it was because they just, they were going to get a stunt actor because that's all he needed to do was just get off because James Earl Jones is doing the voice. Right. Um, but he wanted to do it specifically yeah, for obviously the reason that you said it's Darth Vader. He's wait. He he's waited to be Darth Vader. Yeah. He wanted to be in the suit. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's no the question. character. Right. Um, Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga video game is coming up in October. Yeah, so, I might get that for the whole Switch. It's gonna uh, be the only. That, it it actually looks really quite fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't played a Lego video game in forever, but this would be a fun one to get. Uh. With that said, also in October, Mandalorian is on track to hit schedule for October. So they're going to have season two ready in October as planned. Excellent. uh, Despite all of COVID-19. So that is really excellent. That'd be one of the last new shows we have for a while, I think. Well, I mean, it depends on what's been able to advance. Uh, I mean, I believe there's likely an animation show in the works. It's been so heavily rumored. And there's even more rumors this week that this animation show in development is the same animation style as the Clone Wars, which is what I expected because they've been developing so much and yet there wasn't that much left to do in the Clone Wars. And they've also been dropping hints that more of that content is coming. And so it just makes sense that the Clone Wars art style is currently being used to develop another show that we have not found out about yet. And, you know, uh, Uh, it was announced today that uh, the new Avatar movie is reassuming uh, production next week. Because they're good. They, wow. got, they got the green light in New Zealand. And so that'll mean the same for the new Lord of the Rings show, which is also in New Zealand. And so stuff might just get moved around geographically if it has to. Although I guess international travel is is a complicated matter too. It is. But no, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. Um, and this, I guess, if there was an animated show, it would, I assume, be announced at Star Wars Celebration. It would definitely be announced at Star Wars Celebration. What am I thinking? Yeah. Um, but in that same vein that would also be when Hayden Christensen would be announced. So if you have a new show and Hayden Christensen and some, and maybe any information on the Kenobi show, and you're going to have a good star Wars celebration with no movies coming up this year. And that's like good on them for really continuing to make sure that good content is being developed and that star Wars is not going to go into a standstill, even though that the movies are uh, in other Mandalorian season two news. It seems, yeah. it seems like Boba Fett is a probability. Yeah, so Tamara Morrison is uh, its a Hollywood reporter, so it's in the bank, essentially, that he is going to be in season two of The Mandalorian. Uh, they say it's for Boba Fett. However, I don't trust that anyone, that it's Boba Fett, guaranteed. Yeah. I do 100, I, 99% believe it is Boba Fett uh, because of the Spurs, because of The Mandalorian, the style, everything about it, it makes sense. They haven't told us what happened to Boba Fett. Uh, and it's also the, the face we associate so directly with that. And so people that have only seen the movies would associate that. Um, but I'm also really hoping he plays Rex as well. Sure. Uh, and it could be instead, but I believe that it's almost a guarantee on the Boba Fett one. And that's what all the uh, articles talk about. But it could be Rex as well, uh, which would be in line with Ahsoka. And so to see the face of Boba Fett being the same as Django all these years later, what armor he's going to be in. What are the circumstances? It's it's very cool. He's most likely, I imagine, uh, would be one of the main antagonists of this season, probably. Rex would be real old by the time of The Mandalorian, yeah? 
Yes, he would because they age at twice the rate. And right. so he's the, he's the same age as Boba Fett. He's twice as old though. Yeah. Uh, and so Boba Fett would probably be at this point, um, he would be probably about 42. So Rex would be about 85. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Uh, yeah. But Rex, uh, canonically, the character Nick Sant uh, is the guy with the white beard at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yes. Uh, however, canonically, you also now have the option of picking whichever you want that character to be. Oh. Uh, the character's name is Nick Sant because it's just Saint Nick. He looked like Santa Claus. Ew. The character has no point whatsoever. But just like when you're making names for these characters in the 80s when it has no point, it's just – and so, of course, people's like, oh, no, that's Nick Sant. That's not Rex. But Dave Filoni like dressed uh, Rex in that same gear in like the it's basically Rex. the flat, flash forwards, so that any fan who wants to think that that's Rex can actively say that's Rex. That's cool. And so he's old. He's got a big white beard, um, but he wouldn't be beyond the age range. And although uh, Qui Gon was a was a Jedi, he was still kicking ass at like sixty five. Yeah. Um, and so eighty five for somebody who's been aging twice as fast so i don't know it, it seems it, it would work still okay cool all right i'm into it um other than that the gallery show uh is showing i'm, I'm behind on it but it's getting great reviews uh, about the man uh, mandalorian behind the scenes uh, and one thing i did watch a little snippet and it's uh just goes to show you why dave filoni is dave filonian and how he understands star wars and it was him discussing duel of the fates and it being specifically a family moment and how the duel of the fates is Qui-Gon battling for Anakin's life. Qui-Gon okay. is specifically battling because if Qui-Gon survives, he will be the father figure in Anakin's life and he will not turn to the dark side. Right. Fate of the galaxy requires Qui-Gon to survive. The fate of the galaxy falls into turmoil and Anakin is claimed by the dark side and the dark side being Qui-Gon in that duel. The duel of the fate is the fate of both the galaxy Anakin Skywalker because he requires the family and the the kind of love that Qui-Gon understands. Qui-Gon is not uh he accepts that love and compassion uh, are things that Jedi should have. Yeah. And to have someone be his son and somebody he could care for would be fitting. But that's the kind of thing that Anakin needed. And because that was taken away, he was exposed to all the dogma of the Jedi. And that's ultimately what allowed Palpatine to assume that father role and all of everything was lost. And so the name Duel of Fate, even just having an extra meaning when explained by Dave Filoni, is just, it makes me eager to dive into all this and shows more, once again, why these guys should be in charge. I mean, uh, Star Wars has always been a story about dads. It's always been about daddy yeah. issues. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And, and that really fits in. Yeah. Um, other than that, the only other thing in the news was uh, Mark Hamill once again confirming that uh, he can't imagine ever playing Luke Skywalker again. He had to send off his beginning, middle, and end. Uh, I mean, people are always going to ask him about that. I would adore him having an opportunity to be animation Luke Skywalker, um, yeah. and it would make a lot of sense. But at the same time, I also think there's a good chance he just wants to be done with it all. I get it. And uh you never know, maybe a few years down the line, but my guess is we probably won't see him as Luke Skywalker again. I would love to see him as Luke Skywalker. I think we will. It might be a long time, but this he's not an old man yet. Like For as no. long as he's been around, he's not an old man. He loves to work. He loves being a fan. It'll, mm. come, it'll come around. That's true. I guess it really depends if they do another Skywalker trilogy in 15 or 20 years. Mark Hamill's still around. Exactly. Okay, That's is that all the cool. news? So, That's it? Yeah. Yep, that's all. 
Okay, the only birthday to wish uh, is for next Tuesday, May 19th. A happy birthday to the late Peter Mayhew, the original Chewbacca. Happy birthday, sir. Awesome. And uh, this is kind of fun. Uh, for Godacast 1, I'm, I'm not sure what this thing is called, but Josh Gad has, well, I think it's a YouTube show, and it's like his little quarantine uh, pet project. And, oh, yeah. And it's called, I think it's called Reunited Together. And he just like gets old casts together over the Zoom and they It's like Back to the Future one. So that's what I thought. He, episode two of Reunited Together is Back to the Future. So if you got to cast one in Star Wars, is it Michael J. Fox or Christopher Lloyd? Ooh. Um, well, that's interesting. Either, one's could, either one could work uh, quite well. Yeah. Uh, Michael J. Fox, you would have to um coordinate it with his condition um in parkinson's and all of his characters have i'm not and concerned so you, about that it's star wars we got star wars endless so opportunities yeah exactly you can have it fit whether it's like some form of alien element it's a, a mechanical angle you can do some form <laughs> of uh angle to make michael j fox uh, a very interesting character i mean i'm not imagining him to have a, a huge role but he could be a, a a side character for information at some point uh, Christopher Lloyd could be someone absolutely off the wall. I mean, he's pretty old now. Yeah. Um, but that's a tough... Actually, to be honest, I'm, uh, they both could be kind of just your standard along the way, part of the journey sort of character. Not a bad guy, but somebody who's um, your your Dex from Attack of the Clones side of sort of character. Somebody who's just kind of part of, of the other character's journey. Someone like DJ, but not stupid. Oh, yeah, that's um, a cool idea. Somebody like that, um, Michael J. Fox, uh, I'm going to pick and have him be kind of just this, this weird, mysterious character that they don't really understand, but ultimately has a good heart and helps the heroes advance um, their story. Here's what I'll say about Michael J. Fox. Could not have been Beckett because he's not able-bodied enough for that adventure. No. Uh, and Christopher Lloyd couldn't now be Beckett either, but Back to the Future Part 3, Christopher Lloyd, could be a sick Absolutely. Beckett. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like Christopher Lloyd, young Christopher Lloyd, could be damn near anything in Star Wars. Sure, yeah. It's just hard. Uh, well, I wouldn't cast him at this age, but he really could be like as evil as it gets, as good as it gets. He could be, he could have been anything. He also has the perfect comedic chops for Star Wars because that's essentially, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the two franchises are kind of spiritual siblings, Star Wars and, and Back to the Future. And we both have always adored them since as long as we can remember. Absolutely. Okay, well, let us know what you think about either of those two people being cast in Star Wars. Send along your thoughts at recorder66podcast at gmail.com, at recorder66 on Twitter. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. If you want to be caught up to where we are uh, by next week's podcast, watch, um, I guess, an hour 50 of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. We've got two episodes left in this season before we tackle the final four episodes of The Clone Wars. Until we are together again, may the Force be with you. Be with you.